Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon podcast. If you don't know by now, I am your host, Lana Mercedes. Meet your inner critic, the internal voice that judges, criticizes, and demeans us, the annoying voice that affects our thoughts, ideas, and feelings by distorting our sense of reality. Their purpose is more times than not there to affect us negatively than positively. Let's call them ick for inner critic. Let's be honest, ick is a gaslighter, wreaking havoc on us in our already vulnerable state. Do you ever realize that when you're already feeling insecure, bothered by something, that ick just swoops on in? Can you say opportunist? Everyone deals with some sort of insecurity, whether it's a minor annoyance in the back of your mind, average self-esteem issues, or something consuming your everyday thoughts. We all have it to some extent. It can really mess with our confidence, even if it doesn't appear to do so to those around us. Let's take a look at Freud's psychological approach. We have the id, the ego, and the superego. The id is developed at infancy. It reacts to basic desires, needs, and even urges. It is responsible for our impulses. According to Freud, the id operates on something called the pleasure principle, the instinctive drive to seek out pleasure and avoid pain. So if we experience what the id wants, we feel pleasure. If we don't experience what the id wants, we feel tension. Since it is the unconscious part of our minds, it keeps psychological tension at a minimum, unless or until feelings turn into behavior. Since the id's main function is that of a primitive thinking, it is often illogical and irrational. It can base its wants off of fantasy and envy and not concrete details. It is selfish and often will want things just for the sake of it, or because it's possessed by someone else, and not necessarily because it's actually wanted. Clearly, we as humans don't expel the id as we grow. Later down the line, we develop the ego and superego. Freud states, the ego is the part of the id which has been modified by the direct influence of the external world. It is our decision-making psyche, so as you recall, the id is unreasonable while the ego works based off of reason. It is based more on reality and tries to balance out the id's wild demands. The ego takes norms and rules into consideration when working. Both the id and ego desire pleasure, but the id doesn't utilize realistic means to try and achieve this, while the ego does. The ego wants to get to this point with the most logical and realistic method. With that being said, the ego is an ego. It doesn't have a clear concept of the difference between right and wrong. It says, I'm taking societal norms and logic into play while also making sure no one is getting hurt in the process. Therefore, all is well. It may also say something like, I'm stealing this. No one will know or be affected by it according to my own analysis, so all is well. In short, the ego doesn't have much integrity. So while the ego has claimed itself the ruler, while the id says, I want this thing and I want it now, the ego says, I'll be the judge of that, and then determines how said thing is or isn't achieved. Then later when the situation plays out, the ego can smirk and give itself all of the credit. If, however, the ego fails, either because the thing was not achieved or it is discovered they were inaccurate of their assessment, they will reevaluate and try again attempting to use more fruitful levels of logic and reasoning. This is known as reality testing, and also an attempt to practice better methods of self-control and to reduce pretension. Then we have the superego. It utilizes societal norms, morals, and values when making decisions. It also tries to control the id's impulses, but also works to control the lack of said morals and values that the ego has. While the ego just relies on realistic means to attain, the superego brings in much more. The superego consists of the conscience and ideal self. The conscious can cause the ego to have feelings of shame and guilt in order to tame its valueless way of thinking. The ideal self tells you how to be a member of society, how to be upstanding, and how to treat others. It also represents who you are as a person. 
and personal relationships, as well as how you may succeed in a professional way. The superego can make us feel great when we behave in the way we believe to be on the path of our ideal self, and will push those feelings of shame and guilt when our behavior does not align. This behavior can be reflective of how we appear to others or even ourselves, our personal appearance, as well as how our performance is in a particular situation. Our superego is there when we don't like the way we look or are unhappy with the fact that we overslept or didn't perform well on a test or job interview. We feel we didn't do a good job in making friends, cooking a meal, working out, or even just showing our best self to others. A big thing that our superego misses is that humans make mistakes and often struggle with a lot of the same things. Our superego might be able to hold us accountable when fostered correctly, but also can be very hard on us. Insert ick, our inner critic. Parental values, education, and religious environments shape how we develop our superego. Replacing parental values with then-professional environments is usually how our superego is then maintained. Unfortunately, in today's society, social media also plays a massive role. Don't even get me started. In conjunction, when our ideal self is at extreme elevation, the majority of what we do is then viewed as failure. So why do we have an inner critic? Several reasons. As we can see from the discussion on Freud's id, ego, and superego, our psyche wants things, our ego wants to give it to us, and our superego wants them a certain way. We have multiple facets now adding pressure and expectation to the already spinning wheels of desire. There's a fine line between setting personal expectations and not knowing when to stop with the self-criticism. I believe I mentioned this in one of my previous episodes, but perfectionism. I know I definitely touched on the feeling I had when developing this podcast in my trailer episode. A common myth surrounding perfectionism is that people that are perfectionists do so much and have it all together. They complete project after project and everything is flawless. I spent three years going back and forth on the idea of creating a podcast. Then I decided I would do it, developed a brand, purchased the equipment, and learned all the things. Then I delayed going live. Why? Perfectionism. And my super ego telling me everything needs to be perfect. What people want without disagreeing with others or ruffling any feathers. But this podcast is mine, and it needs to be authentic to me, not everyone else. If I waited on being able to do that, you wouldn't be listening to me right now. We can't please everyone, and we can't meet our own expectations every single time. Perfectionism doesn't mean that you are doing a bunch of things and doing them perfect. It is often very different for people trying to achieve perfection. Since we already have this super ego telling us that most things cannot be attained, or are failed at being perfect and also because perfect really doesn't exist, Perfectionists are often delaying projects and tasks because it is not perfect enough. They may have written a book, and because it's not perfect enough, it is not submitted to a publisher for years. They may be behind in getting ready for an event because their hair or wardrobe just is not perfect enough. There are cases where that task is never completed, it just may be delayed forever. There are also times where that task is just trash because the person didn't feel that it could ever meet their view of perfection, and if so, it cannot be out in the open. Then you have some who will put the project out, never feel fully happy with it, but force themselves to put it out into the world. Lastly, the way that most may implement. It is not perfect, but you want this thing up now, and you will continue to improve it with time, skill, and knowledge. So, how do we identify our inner critic? What things can we look out for and what questions can we ask ourselves? We want to do a lot of self-observation and self-reflection. So I suggest taking the time to journal your answers, really any thoughts or feelings that may come up when diving into this. Number one, we want to know what triggers the ick. What specific standard did we learn that is forcing some of these irrational expectations? 
How might we have misconstrued them or how can we turn them around for benefit? Number two, at what point does our inner critic turn into criticism? When do we shift from taking the standard we learned to telling ourselves we didn't meet it and then that we are less valuable because of it? Number three, why are we listening to this critic? If we remove this critic and place it into someone else, how would we then feel? If someone else was saying the things we say to ourselves, what would our response be? How would we defend ourselves and why are we allowing ourselves to become mute when the critic is inside of us? And number four, what is our inner critic actually trying to tell us? Our ick, as I mentioned, is a gaslighter. And it's that person in our life that has zero communication skills. Let's imagine you're really busy working until late hours of the night for the past few months and you don't realize that you're not giving proper time to your partner. They tell you something like, you're a terrible partner or damn, you have no self-awareness or I need to find someone that gives me quality time. Hmm, those aren't really effective methods of communication, are they? It conjures up defensiveness, doesn't get a valid point across, and doesn't build for a resolution. The partner should take a minute to realize how the behavior is making them feel. Some more appropriate statements could be, I know you have a big project to work on, but I feel a little neglected when you work all night. They could also say, are you almost done? I want to spend time with you. Or simply, let's spend some quality time together. You can even make it playful and say something like, can the computer give you up now? It's my turn. It may sound sappy to some or may not be your style, but the former examples are not going to get you what you want. And if it does, it will be with conflict mixed in because your method was not delivered from a place of compassion. The latter examples remove the offensiveness, express wants and or needs, and offer solution. By addressing these four questions, we can personally overcome and counter a lot of the turmoil that our inner critic can put us through. According to mindful.org, our inner critic is a tiny voice in the back of our minds that plays off of our greatest anxieties, giving its dialogue an addictive quality. Most importantly, don't act on the X criticism. Sitting with it and discovering its goal and foundation in the first place can really go a long way. So even when we do make actual mistakes, the supporter isn't just there to tell us that we were great all of the time, but it is there to support us in fostering better behavior. And of course, a better mindset around these situations. Instead of the you suck voice, it's the dust yourself off and try again voice. By doing this, play your inner voice in someone else again, as if a third party is speaking to you and tell yourself the good qualities that you have. It may not come as easy since this is something we're not often used to, especially if you have a really powerful critic, but spend time with it and add this to your journal. What is going to be most beneficial is focusing on those qualities from within, not how you look, not what material items you possess, or how much attention you get on social media. The real qualities of you that can continue to be nurtured and maintained far beyond those outside sources. Those are the things that are not affected by others. They cannot be manipulated by our age and wanting to uphold a certain look, and it is not affected by numbers like the amount of money in your account to support material images, or the number of likes or followers you have, detrimentally causing harm to your self-view. By continuously nurturing your inner supporter, you diminish the inner critic's power over you. This way, when the critic sees that you are not folding under pressure, its next steps of gaslighting and manipulation can't affect you. Sometimes we can often find ourselves via our ick, putting pressure on ourselves toward things we don't even want. I think we can all relate to some level. You've probably been in a situation where you have envy or find yourself competing, whether physically or mentally, for something just because, and then realizing later it's not even something your authentic self even wants. It's just the mindset you have been conditioned to want from something, whether that's from a parent, employer, friend, or dare I say again, social media. Don't get me wrong, your inner critic has some benefits. Using the questions I provided can really help us to discover what values we really hold, 
and what areas we can work on. But our inner supporter helps support us in doing just that. It is our helpful and productive voice, not the frustrated and arrogant one. It is our best selves and also supporting us when we fall short. Yes, we need to establish our own standards and values, but the inner critic is there to still help us have a conscience, like our buddy the superego. We cannot just rely on our own understanding of right and wrong. That is the cornerstone of all of us being flawed individuals. As always, I hope this information was helpful for you. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review. Thank you.